As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show and our analysis of day four of the 2022 world cup it's the openers from group e and group f Qatar has dealt as another big shocker as japan show us what they have in the locker for the germans it was all going fine until the samurai blue said nine Spain drank Costa Rica's milkshake in a game that didn't end up having much at stake. And despite Costa Rica's attempt at graft, the Spanish did not get conquer And Canada's play was pretty bold against the Belgian side that's pretty old. The Canucks were the better team, it's important to note. But putting it in the net is what it's all about. And if a tree falls in the woods and you slept through Morocco versus Croatia, did either actually happen? We'll never know. Doesn't even deserve a rhyme, that line. My name is Ryan Bailey. The TSS gang is well positioned in our Brooklyn World Cup headquarters. Taylor Rockwell, how are you? Are you tolerating living with us? And thank you for buying us a tea kettle today. My pleasure. I think the tea kettle will make us uh, love each other all the more because we don't have to then boil water and worry about burning each other. Uh, and you all can have as many cups of tea as you want. Have you all been limiting yourselves? I yes. think it's only been like two a mm. day or so. Yes, I think now that there's a tea kettle in the apartment, yeah. I think we're going to double our consumption. Yeah. At least the Brits in this in this apartment are. The, the tea kettle, I have to say, looks very ergonomic. Ryan and I were doing an analysis of of, of the spout. Mm-hmm. Feels like it will be very satisfying to to pour that tea kettle. Do we do we approve of the tea kettle? Is the other important question. I know that you all have high standards. Yes, I mean it does kind of look quite. Uh, it's quite a middle class tea kettle. Like if I was to take that to the building site, I would be throwing out of the thrown out of the building site. Yeah. But we are very oh, yes. middle class. The building so, site that we four podcasters <laughs> yeah, exactly. are so often attending. I'm picturing Graham. I'm off to work, honey, holding yes. his kettle as he walks out to his building site. Very good. Uh, yeah, so we have the the kettle uh, for Graham, the hundred tea bag set for Ryan. I got myself a bottle of hot sauce, and Joe, uh, as is tradition, is fine. <laughs> yeah, I am preparing some sort of tea into harbor situation, depending on how Black Friday goes. So just keep that in the back of your you mind. You better pre-boil that harbor if we'll you want to stay in my we'll uh, good books, Joe. Joe Larry, by the way, and Graham Rutherman joining us as well. By the way, on, on the front of tea, um, I once, I remember asking my mum, how many cups of tea do you have a day? And she very nonchalantly said, oh, 
not that many. I think seven to eight. <laughs> that seems about right. Is, is that pretty standard? For the, yeah, yeah. I think that's standard for the country. I yeah? probably have four before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, not a lot of coffee drinkers. And yet, I, I guess that is kind of uh, goes with tradition. Certainly, none who put creamer in their coffee. Creamer, Crema. not creamer. Cream. This is an ongoing debate here at Total Soccer you mean Show. Crema, <laughs> crema. Yes, of course, of course. I did buy half and half today as well, and Ryan looked at it like it was from Mars. All right. Why don't we talk about soccer? That's what we're here to do. Let's start off with the big shocker. Soccer shocker, if you will. Germany won, Japan two uh, at the Khalifa International Stadium, presumably named after either Wiz or Mia. Probably only one wow. of them returns Google results in Qatar. Not sure which one. But Germany losing their opening game for a second successive <laughs> oh World Cup. Japan used 26% of possession to hand Germany their first defeat in 26 games after scoring the opening goal in the World Cup. What a stat, Joseph Larry. What a game for Japan, Joseph Larry. This game was awesome. I'm glad we're leading with it because I was shocked at Japan coming back in this game. Germany, and as we watched this game, I think there was a consensus among us in the first half that Germany maybe had looked like the best team in this tournament. They were creating overloads that Japan just could not deal with. Jamal Musiala looked like maybe the best player in this tournament, or certainly one of them. And then it all sort of changed in the second half. Japan made a really smart tactical adjustment by adding on a center back. So they went to a back three in the second half after being in a 4-2-3-1 in the first. That helped them deal with Germany a bit better. And then they were aggressive. I think Japan knew that they had to push forward to get back into this game. Mm. They did exactly that. I did not think they were going to get one. They did. I did not think they were going to get two. They did that as well. What a comeback and what a game this was, Ryan. Yeah, and Graham, a very interesting start to this game. We thought mm. we were watching Japan, as Joe says, watching them being forced to drop very deep. It didn't seem like they could do much at all. It felt like after the first 15 or 20 minutes, here we go. This is going to yeah. be super, super dominant from the Germans. Didn't quite work out that way. No, it didn't. And uh, this tournament in general has been quite brutal for teams not taking their chances, being punished for it. We've only had 12 games and we've already had three of them kind of pan out in, in a similar way. And this was another one. The first half performance, I thought, was actually really pretty good from, yeah. from Germany. We were talking about it being one of the, the best halves of football we've seen from any team at this tournament. A key uh, aspect of that performance was the overload that Germany kept creating on the left side. And that was obviously where the the first goal or their only goal comes from the decision from Sakai who had a difficult game I think it's fair to say yeah so he steps out and that creates the the giant pocket of space for for Ram to, to be played in behind but that pass had been on for Germany all match up until that point and Japan the core the the source excuse me of of that issue was Jamal Musiala they didn't know Japan what to do with him in the half space and that led to the play that led to the, the penalty kick um, where Germany uh, scored from. And I thought the clever thing from Germany was that whether it was part of their original game plan or whether they recognised the imbalance in, in the Japanese uh, back line in game and adapted, they were tilting the pitch to create the space for Raum. And I, and I saw uh, Jack Collins tweeting that it gave him major Spinazzola at Euro 2020 vibes. Yeah, right. um, and I can totally see that. It was, it was such a key part of the way Germany played that first half. And so it wasn't surprising at the start of the second half to see Japan make the changes to try and stem that. I think I was really surprised, really by the way that first half played out, just because I thought 
Japan would be able to control the ball a little bit more. I had predicted that uh, Endo would have over 90% pass completion or they would lose. Both of those were incorrect because Japan won this one. I think he only had 64% uh, pass completion. And if you look at the numbers, 10 of the top 11 passers in this game were from the German side. That said to me, they're very dominant, very ball dominant. And Japan, I think, were really scrambling. Joe and I talked about this a little bit as the game was happening, that it it was definitely... When Japan would get the ball back, similar to Poland yesterday, there wasn't much of a plan in that first half, uh, except the difference being that, unlike Poland, uh, like Japan had zero time on the ball because Germany was pressing really effectively and really cutting off any options and then counter-pressing. And so I think Japan, fortunate to get out of that half only 1-0 down, really fortunate to survive the opening maybe 10 minutes of the second half, still yeah. only 1-0 down. This could have gone a very different way yeah. if some of those chances are taken more cleanly by Germany. Yeah, and a, and a fact, a stat that kind of backs that up, Taylor, is Germany becoming the first team in recorded World Cup history, according to Opta, to register three-plus expected goals and lose a game. So that kind of does tell you that, as you say, it could have gone a very different way for them. Yogi Lowe's fault. I'm putting it on Yogi Lowe. I, I refuse to blame Hansi Flick yet. It's yeah. still somehow Yogi Lowe's fault. Yeah, he was scratching his groin somewhere. That was the problem. <laughs> I will I will say we talked about Argentina. And Ryan, I think you mentioned something yesterday about us maybe leaving <laughs> leaving Argentina uh, a bit easy, right? We didn't go in on them especially hard. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of inclined to do the same to Germany here today in that I think they are still in a relatively okay spot based on how other results Mm. go. Now, it is difficult, right? Japan's on three points, Spain's on three points as well. But Germany still have, to some extent, control, right? They have a game against Spain, is what I mean. So that game could change a lot of the calculus here. Now, goal difference might be a factor. But Germany, all things considered, I thought played an okay game of soccer. It was individual errors for me more than anything else that embodied why they lost. I think about that second goal for Japan. The game winner, it's a ball over the top in a really straightforward kind of situation. It's a Japanese ball over the top to Asano. Asano brings it down, and Schlotterback just tries to steer Asano wide and wait for him to make a mistake or to lose the ball or to take a sloppy touch. Asano doesn't make a mistake, and he doesn't do any of those other things. He scores it. He roofs it at the near post with a really tough angle. But the reason why that play even develops in the first place is because of Nicolas Sula, who is maybe three yards behind the rest of his back line. That's the kind of stuff that doesn't generally happen for Germany and for a lot of other elite teams. They maybe don't have the easiest path forward, but they still have some control. Mm -hmm. And I think they still looked pretty good, at least in a big picture sense in this game. Yeah, I I generally agree, but I do feel worse about Germany than than I do about Argentina. I think the way Japan came into that game in the second half, the changes that they they made yeah. were very effective. And I, I get what you're saying, Joe, about the individual mistakes. But when I look at the Asano goal and the way that Japan are able to get in behind, and it's two German defenders that are left back there, you compare that to the Saudi Arabian goals against Argentina, where they do have lots of players back, and it's a Saudi Arabian shot into the top corner, which you know, 99 times out of 10, 100, you know, goes over the bar or something like that. It, it felt. It felt more like Japan had a, a, a hand in their own success, if yes. that makes mm-hmm. any, any sense. Yeah, I'll, I'll continue that then, because I think there's two things for me. The first would be that in terms of how bad this result is for Germany, this sounds very obvious, and it is, but we have to wait and see how the rest of the tournament plays out. Not just, oh, if they don't end up advancing, then it was bad. But to me, this is a game in which Germany kind of took their foot off the pedal a little bit and let Japan back into this. They didn't take those chances. This could have been 3-0 or 4-0 at halftime, and then this game is done. 
And and so I think if Germany learns from this and they start putting teams away and they yeah. don't let teams back in and they go on a deep run, then you look at this result as a time when they learned something. But if they aren't able to close the door or they do end up losing to Spain, then you have to see this as a pretty catastrophic result. So that's one thing. The other thing I think is really interesting, we've seen this a couple times now in this tournament, I think there are certainly teams who go a goal down or two goals down and think, well, that's it for us and sort of are about damage control and we'll see what happens in the next game. But there are other teams who I think fight back and make adjustments. And if you're a a very dominant team, Argentina or Germany, and you're sort of content to sit back and think, oh, 1-0, 2-0, we're Argentina, we're Germany, no one's going to come at us. You're there for the taking if you kind of uh, back off a little bit. And I think there are teams that are not backing down in this tournament the way maybe they would have mm. been expected to be a couple tournaments ago. The other thing as well is Argentina's group, you would expect Argentina to win their next two games against Mexico yeah. and True. Poland. True. And now Germany are in a situation where there is, there's another superpower in that group. If Japan beat Costa Rica, Costa Rica which you would expect... <laughs> Yes, of course, of <laughs> yes, course, of course, yes, naturally. <laughs> but yeah, if Japan beat Costa Rica as uh, you would expect them to, they're on six points. Mm. Potentially, that's them through. So Germany now maybe needs something against Spain. So that this result could have some serious ramifications. Right. Well, Joe, the, the Germans coming into this and the German media have been quite low on this team. Love on this team, if you will, um, Boo. which is un- uncharacteristic <laughs> for them because usually they're quite confident going into these tournaments. But how do you think they react after this game? Bearing in mind they've got Spain coming up on Sunday, a team who dominated in their game today as well. Do you think they're concerned about what happened today, particularly in the second half? Do you think they're feeling that they can still give Spain a good game? They should be feeling they can still give Spain a good game. Graham, I think you did a good job of clarifying this. It's not the easiest path forward for Germany here, but I don't expect them to change all that much. The the only thing I would consider changing after this game is some of the defensive personnel. But you look through Germany's squad, I'm not sure they have a ton of real quality options outside of the group that we saw today. So I think really it's going to be them looking to improve that part of their game. Hansi Flick looking to zoom in and and go back through the film and look through, okay, these are the specific errors we made. This is what needs to improve. The attacking personnel, I expect to be similar. I don't think it should change. Like I said, there were mistakes for Germany in this game. They didn't convert their chances. That's You you hope that you put those in the back of the net, but sometimes that's how soccer goes. And defensively, those are the errors that I think really hurt them in this match. It happens in soccer sometimes, and I, I don't think Germany should overreact coming into their next game. Joe, jo, what do you think about perhaps moving Kimmich back to right back and then having Goretzka in that central midfield yeah. and either keeping Schlotterbeck in the central defence or even putting Sula into there. the central defence? Would I, that work? I think it would work. I'm not opposed to that. I do like the, the way that Kimmich sets the tempo when he's on the field. I think he is a really, really good soccer player. So... It does hurt a bit to get him out of that space, but Gundogan's great at that, and Goretzka is a, a really excellent midfielder as well. He comes off the bench in this game, so yeah, Graham, I'm, I'm not opposed. They'd surely lose something from not having Kimmich screening in front of the defence, though, right? I, I was expecting to see maybe Goretzka in the Gundogan role. Gundogan was very good today, mm. admittedly. Also, I wasn't, wasn't expecting to have a six foot five right back today. <laughs> no, no, the, the, the German Dan Byrne, I think, is uh, uh, Nicholas Sula's nickname when he plays there. Yeah, I guess maybe the dynamic of the game against Spain on Sunday would be that Spain, no matter what, are going to dominate the ball there anyway. So maybe having better progression out from the back and having Kimmich on the right side might be worth something. I don't know, just something to think about. Yeah, I, I would like to like pause for one more moment just to praise Japan yes. a bit more yeah. because mm-hmm. I think justifiably we're talking a lot about Germany and we should be, but we should also talk plenty about Japan, especially uh, Hajime Moriyasu, their manager, who makes some big changes in this one. Joe already talked about that halftime decision and changing up the formation, but Ritsu Doan comes on and scores... 
maybe two or three minutes later, I forget. Uh, he also makes the change. Uh, Maida comes off, and that's where we get the goal from, from Asano. So I think those changes, both tactical and also positional or just like like-for-like sw- uh, swaps, make the difference, inspire that confidence. And I think if you look at, at that winner, it, it has no business going in. The angle is ridiculous. Uh, Manuel Neuer, I think, saves that... I don't know, 99 out of 100 times. But in this case, Asano just blasts it, yeah. uh, puts it in, like, roofs it into, into the net. And and uh, it did not remind me. It reminded my friend uh, Patrick, who messaged me this, of the Landon Donovan goal against Slovenia in the 2010 World oh, Cup. If you yeah. watched that one, it's like, Drew goes down the sideline, cuts inside, and it's like, oh, well, that angle's done. And then he just roofs it near post. Mm. There's something so great about a tight angle top corner goal and and on top of that the winner the great celebration with the team uh a really uh strong performance from japan yeah i think it's harder to save than you think that kind of shot as well when it goes oh, above yeah. your keepers yeah the keeper's head as well yeah i think so. and, and i think neuer kind of like definitely had to do his best with that one because there wasn't uh, a ton of coverage was it schlotterback we talked about who doesn't really make a play yes. i think thinks that mm. the control from asano yeah. isn't going to be nearly as good as it was so I'm, i think he assumes i'll have an opportunity to make up the play once he takes this touch 15 yards ahead of him but when asano brings it down and perfectly then goes in on goal uh it's a different scenario for germany yeah based on what we've seen from japan today taylor would you be very disappointed if they didn't make it out of the group? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with the caveat that they weren't particularly impressive in the first half, and a lot of that has to do with how strong Germany looked, but they didn't cover themselves in glory either. The second half shows what they can do, and I think a, a team that allows them more time on the ball will make them look much better. Mm. I still think that, yes, they should be able to get another win uh, against Costa Rica, and then we'll see what happens with the rest of the group and in that game against Spain. Uh, but plenty to play for for Japan, which was definitely not the case at the end of that first half. Indeed. Something else we should probably note, by the way, from the pre-match activities, Taylor, the mm, uh, German... Yes. yes. Uh, we're calling it a protest, I suppose, the hands clasped yeah. over the mouth for the I, team photo. Yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's a strange thing in this World Cup that like it what is not particularly a big gesture it's not mm. like they came out wearing rainbow jerseys and got banned from the field uh because it's the World Cup and I think that I I don't really begrudge players the decision to do what they can to protest while at the same time staying on the pitch because they want to play in a World Cup uh, and so for Germany who've been told you know you can't wear this armband you can't say this you can't do that to basically have the entire team stand there with their hands over their mouths it's a pretty I would. I think if they win this game, it's a very iconic photo. I mm. think it still should be, and it should still be celebrated that they're sort of taking a stand how they can. But uh, yeah, it was a moment mm. that I enjoyed today, I'm, for sure. I'm still a little bit disappointed, to be honest, though, that Germany and the other nations, England and Wales, didn't wear the armbands. And actually, Ian Wright has, mm-hmm. has had some pretty smart things to, to say on this subject. And, and for starters, it's an awful yeah. look for FIFA that completely amplifies mm-hmm. the, the message that they're trying to yeah. suppress. They had a meeting, though, Graham. They had of a course. special meeting where they told Qatar, you said you would let oh, of things course. happen. Yeah. And a very strong finger wagging. Yeah. I'm sure Qatar would Just like they had a, a meeting about selling Budweiser, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. At the, at, they were at the very intimidated by the finger wag there, too. Yeah, But, <laughs> but as, uh, as Wright pointed out, um, and some of the things I've heard him, him say, um, and these are his words, that there's no protest without risk. And it would have shown the players putting True. something on the line like yeah. the lgbtq community does with their their lives every day again mm. these are these are ian wright's words and i i echo his, his, his sentiment in these words but yeah i i'm while i'm pleased that germany did something and that and there was some form of protest it it still felt to me a little bit like something has been left short not just right. by germany but by a number of teams at this world cup and the team who have been the most emboldened to protest so far has been iran 
they're not not aiming their protest, of course, at Qatar, but they they they've had the strongest message, arguably. You mean by not singing the anthem? By not singing the anthem. Yeah, yeah. I, and then I'm still confused. There was, uh, I guess, reports that there was chanting of like like without honor or something like that mm-hmm. uh, during their game, and I don't know if that was because they were losing as badly as they were or as a chant against the the regime in Iran. But I think. Yeah, I guess that's a good point, Ryan, between the two of you. Some solid points there that Germany definitely could have done more because I think Iranian players not singing the national anthem, again, on the surface might seem like, okay, they didn't, like, half the U.S. team doesn't sing the national anthem. Very different reasons in those situations and very much more a cultural norm uh, and a historical norm for the Iranian national team to sing that anthem. Indeed. Germany back in action on Sunday, taking on Spain, as we have uh, noted on this podcast. If you'd like to watch that game with the Total Soccer Show gang, you can hey. do so. We're having a watch party at Park Life in Park Brooklyn. Life. Thank you very much. Uh, Graham, how do they get tickets? Um, so find the link in the, the show notes. There's also links on social media. Um, the tickets are $15 plus booking fee. As Ryan says, we'll be watching the Spain versus Germany game. There will be a quiz. There'll be some prizes. We'll have a drink, eat some food. It's much more of a, a party, as the title suggests, than the, the live show. Thank you again to everyone to, who came out to that. And if you did come to the live show at Littlefield and you're wondering where Park Life is, it's on the other side of the wall. <laughs> so just walk around the block and you will find it. Make sure you bring your, your wrist watches of course yeah it's a watch party after yeah all. right yeah is that that's what it is right that's what it is okay, yeah cool. sure it's an orology it's the party. whole reason i brought one for this thing so i'm glad i won't be alone and if you're not in the new york metro area you can join our patreon patreon.com slash total soccer show we are providing lots of bonus content lots of videos an extra podcast every darn day yeah i think and ryan you've done a really good job of not letting graham strip for the camera because he does still have that confusion about OnlyFans versus patreon and so <laughs> i really appreciate that you're doing a good job of moderating his mm. posts L- lewis enrique he does only fans right that's his, his thing yeah i mean he had plenty of time to do stuff during that game yeah. i don't think there was <laughs> yeah. a ton required of him yeah he was on twitch from half time just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hanging out watching other twitches <laughs> so do join us on patreon.com slash total soccer show and for the record taylor uh graham is stripping for my camera but that's my private library mm. <laughs> of course all right <laughs> on that note let's take a break we'll be back <laughs> after this one to talk about spain's domination of costa rica looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Day 4 analysis. Spain 7, Costa Rica nil. Spain just having to outdo the English by scoring one extra goal in this one. <laughs> a very, very successful televised training session this was for the Spanish. Um, pretty dominant Taylor from yeah. the outset they were Ferran Torres Brace Gavi with a great volley to become the youngest World Cup scorer since Pele in 1958 that sounds almost unbelievable it really does and also uh, is sort of believable based on this performance and how just completely 
complete it was from start to finish for Spain. They didn't stop scoring. They certainly didn't stop uh, passing the ball, and they deserve a ton of credit. We will give them a ton of credit. Uh, but for me, I'm guessing for Joe, a bit of a strange game. Joe did the preview of Costa Rica. and Kaylor think- Nav. <laughs> <laughs> that was that five seconds, Joe. Am I going to stretch this out, Graham? I'm going to need some help. What was the prediction again? I, I, I may or may not have made a prediction that Kaylor Navas would make a save at some point in the World Cup. Uh-huh. So there is still time that we would spend two minutes talking about on I TSS. See. Um, so not to derail your Costa I mean, Rica point, but uh, that he, did not happen he today. Did, he didn't make certain saves that he should have. We can talk about oh that. My. But uh, what I was alluding to was your uh, preview, the nickname being like oh, the, yes. the, the bridge in the Fortnite because you've yeah. got a few youngsters, but a lot of more veteran players. And I think those veteran players... For me, for the longest time, Costa Rica has been a team that you constantly cannot overlook. U.S. teams that do overlook them tend to uh, pay the consequence for it. Uh, World Cup teams, uh, England and Italy, for example, that overlook Costa Rica tend to pay the price for it. And so it's a very strange moment uh, for me as like a CONCACAF fan, a Costa Rica supporter of sorts, uh, to see this team be blitzed as badly as they were and realize, like, yeah, this, is, this feels like a true changing of the guard. I don't know how quickly they come back in CONCACAF, but it feels like a door is open for other teams, specifically Canada, mm. uh, to really take advantage and cement their spot in CONCACAF as, a, as a, uh, a relative power, so to speak. Joe, how terrified should other teams be of Spain? Or was this more a case of Costa Rica being tremendously disappointing? I mean, even Alvaro Morata got a goal here. When Morata scored, I knew there was going to be some sort of jab, even though he did get on the score sheet. Uh, It is both. I think it's both of those things, Ryan. Costa Rica were dreadful in this game. Mm -hmm. Graham, how many shots did Costa Rica have in this match? Uh, A big fat zero. There it is. Mm. So, I mean, Costa Rica did next to nothing in this match. Their block got pulled apart pretty easily. At the same time, Spain put on maybe the most Spain performance that has ever Spained in this game. I mean, you go through and you look at the pass map, and it is like, it is textbook 4-3-3, tiki-taka, Barcelona under Pep Guardiola, like peak heyday Spain from uh, from 2008 to 2012. It was a beautiful game to watch, I think, from a Spanish Joe. perspective. A disappointing performance from Spain. How are you not going to get 1,000 passes? They did. I, <laughs> they, I, did. I, they did. did. Yeah. They did. No longer disappointing. Places have been misreporting that statistic. They did get over 1,000 yep. passes. <sighs> okay. Then it was now a good performance from Spain. We can officially say that for sure. 1,043, wasn't it, Joe? I have, yeah. I have that number. <sighs> yeah. 1,043 passes, seven goals, didn't give up a single shot, a World Cup record 81.8% possession, three Spain players completed 100 passes or more, which was a painful one for me because uh, my VSP was related to Pau Torres, who had started every one of Spain's last 10 games, and then I saw the lineup, and Lucho had picked Rodri to start in central defence, and he was one of the players that got over 100 100 passes, double the amount of any Costa Rica player, which was my VSP. Yeah. So gutted about go, that one. Go well, complain wait. on Twitch, Graham. Go nah, complain here's on what Twitch. I'm going to say. Here's <laughs> what I'm going to say. Now, first of all, this might be informed by the fact that none of us have gotten specific prediction points so far. I've got but, one. I've yeah, got one. Graham does have okay, one. Graham's, I'm going to give you another half one, though. I'm, I'm, I'm making that... that uh, uh, Joe, I know you tend to be the dictator, but in this case, I'm going to do that. Because the spirit of the prediction was basically that there would be a ton of possession, mm. and, and especially from the back. Yeah. And so I think that you got the personnel wrong. Who saw Rodri starting as a centre-back, no. I think the spirit of the prediction is still very much accurate. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. And the reason Lucho starts Rodri is basically him going, well, we, we don't need two centre-backs, so I'm going to put a central <laughs> midfielder in there who's just going to push into the centre of the pitch because Costa Rica are not going to cause us any problems, and that panned out as he expected. To circle us all the way back after that winding journey to Ryan's question that you asked me. <laughs> what was your question? It was, how afraid should teams be of Spain? Right, I think that was part yeah. of it. Uh, afraid, Ryan, because Spain have 
the two players that are closest that have ever played soccer since Xavi and Iniesta stopped playing soccer to Xavi and Iniesta and Pedri and Gavi. These players are some of the best young players in the world. Gavi is 18 years old. The way he conducted himself in the midfield today, and Pedri as well. I think I talk about Pedri all the time. Gavi, I'll give a bit more shine here. Gavi was was everywhere. He was wearing the number nine shirt, which I, I think is just a great meme from, from, from Luis Enrique. He's wearing the number nine shirt. He scores that ridiculous goal. He's arriving in the box. He's counter-pressing. He's getting touches on the ball. He's making all of his movements in central midfield. He's an incredible player. Spain have two of the best young number eights that have ever played soccer. And they have them both playing in this exact same midfield where they have chemistry already with Busquets. This Spain team is scary. I do think they will face significantly better teams in Costa Rica who look like they really don't belong with the World Cup in the first place. They will play better opposition, but Spain, impressive to say the least here. Do you you really think, I just want to clarify, do you really think they're two of the best young number eights ever? Yeah, 100%. Really? I think they are... I think at this trajectory, they will be two of the greatest players who have ever stepped on a soccer field. Wow. All right. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's a hot take at all, really. We said that about Freddie Adu at one point, didn't we? He was 14. Give though, it time. To be fair. Give it time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would agree with Joe, I think. I think Pedri and Gabby are going to be in that Spain and Barcelona team for the next, what, 15 years? And they're going to be the core of both of those teams. Pedri, we'll see what levers got to get pulled, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe maybe Pedri is uh, sold to Chelsea Pedri or Manchester United. Yeah, Pedri's yeah. going to be on three euros a week for the next few years. <laughs> yeah, but I, my my favorite bit of Gavi's performance was when he squared up to the biggest lad in the Costa Rican team. I think it was maybe Duarte or or was it Francisco Calvo? I can't quite remember. But someone that was very much over six foot and uh, and Gavi squares up to him. He, he's he's a bit of a scrappy dude, yeah. I, would, I, I think, in a, in a fight. But yeah, he's he, he's not afraid to do that. Wow. I'm, I'm now terrified of this Spain team. Uh, I, I, I was attributing it to Costa Rica just offering absolutely nothing. But and, and I will say, there will be moments in this tournament, if they do get out of the group, which it seems like they very much will, and if they do make any sort of run, there'll be moments where we say, man, Spain are, are not really creating many chances, or they're not mm. finishing those chances. Those are going to happen in this game. They're not going to score seven goals. They're mm. not good enough, to sc- as good as I think they are. They are not good enough to score seven goals, three goals, let alone seven goals a game. That's not going to happen. Japan and Germany, I think, will both be a much tougher test for Spain than Costa Rica were in Japan in particular if they come out in any sort of that, that anything resembling that 4-4-2 block they started with against Germany. Germany did a really good job, I think, of creating some moments to carve through them. Spain will have to do the exact same thing. It's going to be difficult, and I think we yeah. will be down, more down on Spain throughout the competition than we are right now, but they are certainly starting hot. I think one of the the most encouraging things for Spain, and this is the difficult thing, and we've encountered this already at this World Cup, when you have a mismatch like this, is trying to judge well, was this because one team was bad or another team was good? So you have to kind of use some nuance in making that, that, that decision and that judgment. But I think one of the most encouraging things for Spain from this performance was that their possession not only translated into goals, but good opportunities. I think that the vertical threat was something that was there from Spain, that even against limited teams, I've seen Spain in, in, in UEFA qualifying play lesser teams, lower caliber sides, and, and not be as incisive as, as they were in this match. And you look at the players who either started or came off the bench for Spain, players like Nico Williams, Baldi, yep. Alba down the left side, yep. they gave them 
from that something a little bit different. And that is maybe the progression that Spain have made from the last Euros. I think that was, was one of the, the best things about this game for them. Yeah, and continuing that, I think if, if you're Spain, the way they started this tournament is about as good as it possibly could have gone, not even just because of the scoreline, which itself is obviously very impressive. But you mentioned there, Balde, that's his debut for Spain, making it in a World Cup in a game that isn't some high-intensity game where you've got five minutes to make an impact. It, it is a very luxurious position, position to sub on. Uh, Nico Williams the same, and though he won't get credit for the assist, I can't remember if it's the sixth or the seventh goal, but he has that ball in that Navas kind of comes for and spills a little bit, and then it's yeah. uh, scored by Soler. Uh, and, and so he is contributing to that game. You get Sergio Busquets off in like the 65th minute or something like that, so you get him a, a pretty good rest. Uh, you get uh, Avram Morata on, who then scores and gets an assist, and it feels like everybody who didn't start this game still gets minutes, still gets opportunities, still contributes in some way, and I think that the locker room energy has to be about as positive as it could possibly be. Uh, We'll have to go to Twitch to make sure that that's actually the case, but it would be my assumption for now. Uh, Graham, any other Spanish players who want to give some credit to you? You mentioned Jordi Alba there, having a good game on the left, and also Danny Olmo uh, Mm -hmm. with a golden assist too. very good. I didn't see yeah, that coming. He, both of those players very good. I'd, I'd highlight Jordi Alba just because I thought a lot of plays, Spain's play flowed through Alba, particularly in the first half. I mean, Barcelona should uh, look into perhaps signing him because they, they could do with a left back at the moment and he provided everything that Barcelona <laughs> Man, needed. We're, we're that just taking side. shots at Barcelona today. That's to what we fair, do in every they episode. Are, they are a massive target, Taylor. Like, yeah. <laughs> so big. Yeah, but his, his energy and drive just it kind of prevented Spain from verging into predictable, which goes back to my earlier point about the vertical threat being there in, the, in, in that performance. And I want to see them do that, obviously, against a higher caliber team. But yeah, encouraging stuff. If I'm Danny Olmo, I'm a little bit annoyed by how many goals were scored. Because <laughs> if there hadn't been that many, we are talking a lot more about how That's, good this is that goal was. Because right. he, he makes a smart run in behind, has to adjust because the, the pass is deflected. But then he controls it. Does he take it out of the air? He controls it yeah, and then yes. also hits it. Does it ever touch? the ground with, I think a little half volley kind of situation right yeah but I think and then lifts it over Kalo Navas he doesn't smash it he does he like has perfect placement puts it exactly where it needs to and it has that insulting bounce and roll into the yeah. goal that you always love because it's just like oh you're gonna get to it you're not we're up one nil yeah uh but then there's several more goals scored on top of that but still credit to Danny Olmo now uh, credit to him that was a beautiful moment I'd love that finish mm-hmm. as well I'll tell you quite right to point it out a uh, quick stat about Costa Rica he mentioned he didn't have a single shot in this game today it's only the second instance that's happened since 1966 would you like to guess who the other team were who did that since 1966 had not having a single shot in a world cup game was it costa rica it was costa rica <laughs> <laughs> in 1990 against brazil opta joe providing the wow. stat there yeah that would not have been my guess good stuff graham yeah probably should have seen that coming though can i can i say one thing they should they should probably try to have more shots yeah yeah yeah, I think I, 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 I know. Like you come here for the expert analysis, I think Costa Rica probably probably should try to score yeah. a goal or two, yeah. especially when Unai Simon is the <laughs> Spanish goalkeeper. He was on that Twitch stream with Luis Enrique yeah. in the second half. I thought Unai Simon was in this apartment. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what, if I if I hadn't seen any of the action today and mm-hmm. I just landed in this room now and I heard you say they should probably have more shots, I would have thought you were talking about Spain. But here we are today. Uh, yeah, there we here are. we are today. They here had plenty are. and lots of them went in. There we go. Uh, group, <laughs> group E uh, looking pretty good for Spain and Japan. They both have three points. Germany and Costa Rica with a zero at the moment. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Belgium's victory over Canada. Back shortly. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup special from our Brooklyn HQ. We're having a lovely time in New York City. Come and join us at the watch party, by the way, once again on Sunday. Spain versus Germany. It's going to be great fun. Graham's going to do a shoey. Uh, Belgium won. Canada nil. Canada got hosed, eh? Is that... Can we mm. anyone do a better Canadian accent than no that? One, no one bail him out. No, no. one bail him out. <laughs> <laughs> On it, Ryan. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, Michi Batshuayi making a difference here with a very well-taken Route 1 goal. Uh, Canada had that penalty saved earlier on and uh, Thibaut Courtois keeping out Kyle Laren header as well in this one. Uh, the best Canadian moment for me, Taylor, was there was a flag in the crowd that said, our beer is better. Uh, I don't know whether they're referring to like Bud Zero in that instance, but... A Canadian flag. A Canadian flag. Hmm. I don't know enough about Canadian beer to make a judgment on that. But I mean, it's, it's like Labatt or Molson versus like a trip. I feel like they're like beer purists would definitely mm. disagree. I'm yeah. not sure that I do, but I'm not like the most sophisticated palate when it comes to beer. Puppers. If you watch Letterkenny, it's all about puppers. Puppers? Puppers. There's a little puppy on the label. I don't know if that's real. It's a real one. It is. Well, now I changed my mind. <laughs> Canadian beer is better. Anywho, um, Joe, an odd game this one for the Canadians who. Uh, they were very good in this game, essentially, and didn't get much out of it, unfortunately. They were 
excellent in the first half. They had Belgium on the back foot. This game reminded me, Taylor, I don't know if you remember this, Graham. I doubt that you, that you would have seen much of this. Which Ryan, U.S. You defeat well. are you about no, to No, neither. Thank, although, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe it was just too painful for me to bring that in. I'm thinking back to the Azteca, which is when Canada went down yes, to the Azteca yes. in World Cup qualifying. I believe it was October of last year, so it's a, it is a long time ago now. But they were fearless in that game. They took it to Mexico, and they got a point on the road. And Canada did a very similar thing in this game against Belgium. They started out on the front foot in a way that I did not expect them to. I figured we were going to see a pretty reserved Canada team. They were going to try to hit on the break and take advantage of the lack of speed that Belgium had in midfield and in their back line. And they still tried to do those things, Canada trying to take advantage of those individual matchups. But they did it by pressing. They did it by being aggressive from the jump. And they were the significantly better team in the first half. Opta tweeted at halftime, Canada have had 26 touches in Belgium's box, two more than they've had in their own half with 24. Two more. Wow. I, shoot, I believe I believe that is correct from Opta. They had 26 touches in, in Belgium's box either way. That is an incredibly mm. high number of touches in in, a, in an opposition's it's, box, especially a team like Belgium that has so much quality, even though maybe they are on the wrong side at this point. I think today's game made that pretty clear. Belgium were horrendous, I think, in this match for Pretty much the entirety. Canada, great in the first half, much quieter in the second. Maybe a little hard done by both the refereeing and by their inability to put the ball in the back of the net. Canada had more shots and touches in the opposition box than Spain did against Costa Rica when they won and, and they won 7 0 today, which mm. kind of tells you quite, quite a lot about the Canadian performance. I thought Belgium's performance was bad as, as well. I couldn't quite work out what Martinez wanted from his midfield in particular in the first half, and it seems like the Belgian players didn't really understand it either. For me, that's the strongest area of the, of the Belgian team, and I have lots of frustrations about this Belgium team as the the guys here experienced as I was watching this game but yet it felt like Martinez set them up in such a a fragmented way where Tielemans is on the right and basically it was purely up to De Bruyne to do something in transition and some of his decision making when he did get into those transition moments was was poor as well the changes were made at halftime with Anana coming on to provide just a little bit more bite in the centre of the pitch but it wasn't really a change of shape or or, or system and obviously the goal comes from Belgium going long straight down the middle so Martinez might argue that the plan worked but I argue that his team got a little bit lucky and this game plan <laughs> yeah. was a misfit for this this group of Belgian players I mean like that feels very Jose Mourinho to be like I drew it up perfectly that the center back would hoof it long over the top and then my forward would run on and like hit it one time and score that was all me I, I agree with you it's tough to know I wouldn't go so far as to say Belgium were like horrible in this game but I would say that it's it's difficult to know if this was a performance that indicates that they will improve from here because because I think Canada were, were excellent in that first half. It is a shame that, in my mind, that Alfonso Davies doesn't finish that penalty. It felt yeah. like he deserved it. It felt like it could have been a big moment for him. He doesn't take it. But they have so many other opportunities. Some of them squandered because a person looks to shoot when they maybe should have passed. Other times, they go for the pass instead of the shot, or the shot is blocked, or whatever it may be. There were so many opportunities there for Canada. And you contrast that with Belgium, where it felt like it was individual moments. And even there, Kevin De Bruyne breaks through three and then doesn't play it to Yuri Tielemans. He plays it to the wrong side. Yeah. The goal comes from that kind of route one ball. Martinez makes an adjustment at halftime to bring on Onana to go more defensive. And to me, that is an an admission right there. We're too open. This is not the game we want to play. We're giving up way too much space and way too many opportunities. And so they end up getting the win. They end up getting the three points. That may be the the critical thing in them advancing to the next round. But I don't think you can watch this game, be you Belgian or neutral, and, and come away thinking like, yep, that's a statement game. It's more of a like, oh, that, that, that might not be what they were looking for. Belgium have three points on the board. 
Do you still think it's possible they don't go through? It'll be tough. Let, let, what, what, right, they got Morocco, so they got Morocco coming up next, and then they uh, face Croatia on the final day. I, so I will hold my hands up and say I did not watch the Croatia Morocco game. I'm going to be very quiet when that segment comes up. So I honestly do not know enough about Croatia or Morocco in this tournament to say mm-hmm. one way or the other. But I think. Neither one of those teams, you know, covered themselves in glory in that game, as far as I understand it. Nobody has jumped out. I mean, it's Belgium on top. Canada is bottom of this table. So I would say if you're Belgium, you got to be feeling confident that even if you just draw those five points, it's probably enough to get yep. you through one way or the other. I think three points from this game is enough to set up Belgium. I'm not saying yep. they're 100% yep. going to go through, but I, I think they probably will get through to the, the last 16. I just have zero faith in, to be frank, Roberto Martinez to set up this team in a way that will <laughs> uh, give them a chance against higher caliber op- op- opponents that can kind of match Belgium at their own game. Yeah. Listen, and when Graham was watching this game with us, he was visibly angry <laughs> at the Belgium team, and particularly its manager. Yeah, absolutely, because I understand that this is a Belgian golden generation, and maybe the next generation isn't quite as talented as the as the one that's kind of being faded is fading a little bit now but you still have players that particularly against this Canada quick quick transition team you have players like Dabas you have uh, Vut Fass I believe is how you pronounce that we were debating that today who plays for, for Leicester City two players who have that recovery speed that would allow Belgium to play that um, that high line and instead they're relying on Toby Adeverald and Jan Vertonghen and, and Den Donker who is essentially a midfielder and then the strongest part of their team as I said which seems to me to be their midfield bypassing the midfield a lot and Eden Hazard playing did mm-hmm. he come off in, in the end actually was he subbed off or did he play the full match he was certainly yeah, he on, came off he came off but quite late on did, was it yeah half yeah. an hour ago just Eden Hazard playing 60 minutes of a World Cup game which is probably more than he's played for Real Madrid in two seasons I'll add I'll add one thing that should encourage both of these teams I think Belgium will make it out of the group I think they have more than enough quality, even with Graham's, I think, valid frustrations to get something from their next two games and something from that combination that will be enough for them. Uh, A point of encouragement for Belgium is that Kevin De Bruyne won the Man of the Match award in this particular game. He said after the match that he didn't think he deserved it. He said, I don't think I played a great game. I don't know why I have got the trophy. Maybe it's because of my name. Maybe it's because of the name. And that is true. That's the only possible reason. Did he say maybe it's because of the name? Yes, he did. I don't know how I feel about him putting an article on that one. Ah, the brand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Either way, De Bruyne was not very good in this game. And we pointed that out, Taylor. You, you mentioned as we were watching together several decisions mm-hmm. in transition yeah. that he made the wrong pass. Tielemans consistently in the first half was making runs forward, which uh, De Bruyne rarely rewarded, if ever. So De Bruyne wasn't very good. Courtois was excellent. So if those two players are firing... Graham, even though this Belgium team is maybe not what they once were or what they should be now, that is enough to go mm-hmm. a pretty decent distance in this tournament. And the, the thing for Canada is, I don't think Alfonso Davies had a very good game today. Yeah, he misses the penalty, so that's a big mark against him. I think that's him. a big reason why he didn't have a good game. He was not particularly influential yeah. for Canada in this game. Part of that is because Belgium really did pack it in in the second half. And, and even in the first half, it was kind of scramble ball at a lot of different moments for Canada. And they created decent chances from it. But that's maybe not exactly how Alfonso Davies wants to play. Yeah. If he's firing as this tournament goes on, I think Canada have more than enough quality to get results against both Morocco and Croatia and get out of this group to the point where maybe I think that is the most likely outcome. It's both of these teams today that we saw 
going out and into the round of 16. And I think that's where John Herdman uh, has to be a, a good manager, a good man manager at that, because I agree with you, Alfonso Davies, not nearly as influential as it seemed like he was going to be. I Again, I say a lot of that, I think, is because he misses that penalty, not just that, like, oh, he missed the penalty, he's bad, but I think a minute or two after that, probably a couple minutes after that, uh, he, he goes, he like closes down a loose ball, and he tries to do the sort of like step over and then like like uh, in-step pass, and he passes it to no one, and it rolls out, I think for a goal kick, or maybe Belgium picked the ball back up. But that sort of moment, I think there just there was that that inclination to try to like make up for missing the penalty. Um, when in reality, it's a save, and that happens. But I think there's an argument that maybe he tries a bit too much. He tries to do too much, and in that way, doesn't necessarily help the team play the way they need to to get that result. And I think we will see much better from Alfonso Davies in this tournament. I hope John Herdman just puts an arm around him and reminds him, "Hey, there's two more games. You got to step it up from here." He uh, he put his arm around everybody after the game. Herdman did a post game huddle on the field there for Canada. There you go. Um, remember when Jesse Marsh got absolutely toasted? for that by well, the yeah. English media yeah yeah John Herdman's English yeah, yep. but it, was, it was because John Herdman said in the huddle he huddled everyone around he went remember our beer's better than theirs that's the main reason <laughs> uh, yeah. I think what he what he actually said he totally said this was uh, but it's okay guys because we let Mishiba Chwai score and not Romelu Lukaku so therefore Taylor Rockwell is happy yeah. that is correct yes. that is correct I'm going to go Mishi. It would have been quite hard for them to let Romelu Lukaku score in this game, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Good stat from ESPN. Canada are the first World Cup team since 1978 to attempt at least 20 shots and one penalty kick and not score a goal. Got to do better. Got to put those on frame. Should have done more. Indeed. I'm really trying to increase Joe's blood pressure in this podcast. (laughs) Joe's just crumbled under the ground right there. Got to be hitting the target. Joe, have to. Simply have to. I don't know if you uh, were observing the Guardian blog for this game at halftime. I was not comment was this is the most dominant display of a half by a non-mexican CONCACAF team since 2014 and they're one nil down yeah. Sounds about right, right? I think so. I mean, the U.S. wasn't at the World Cup in 2018. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a shot of the U.S. That right. Oh, well. I, think, I think it is. And Canada, Canada deserve that kind of praise. I mean, yeah, this, game, this game would have gone, this game very much could have gone differently. And we would have led most likely with Canada or had them right behind Japan in the show that we did today. That's, that's the kind of stuff that happens, right? Soccer is frustrating like this sometimes. And, and the ball does not roll the way that maybe everyone watching the game, even Belgium, probably think it should have in this match. But Canada... Very much, I saw Joshua Cloak tweet this, uh, writes for The Athletic. He, he basically said, you know, the result didn't go Canada's way, but they showed today that they belonged in the World Cup. And I think that's a really yeah. good line from, from Cloak. I think this Canada team showed today that they have more than enough quality to compete at the world stage. They showed it in CONCACAF qualifying that they were the best team in World Cup qualifying. I don't think that really you could make a big argument against that. I wouldn't argue with that really mm-hmm. after what we saw throughout the last year or so. And now they show, mm-hmm. hey, they can go toe-to-toe with still one of the most talented teams at this tournament. Canada do deserve credit for that. Yeah. And Graham, just a quick beat on this game before we move on. Uh, in terms of the kits, the blandest kit possible, just mm. all white, versus the most flavor towny <laughs> kit you can get. Yeah. I mean, Guy Fieri must have been furious watching the first half performance from uh, Belgium. How dare they sully the Fieri brand with this performance? But yeah, I, genuinely, I would be, I think I've already said this on the show, but if I was Canadian, I would be furious that Nike haven't even bothered to produce you would a, be. You a, would a be new furious. For, it's honestly one of the, one of the, the things if your team is going to a major tournament which I've only experienced once in my adult life but if your team is going it's one of the the nice things about that and so Canada don't have that but just as well they've got a good team and I think they've still got a chance of meeting into the last 16 they do indeed Graham one more game to cover today Morocco nil Croatia nil at the Albite Stadium shout out to the 5am gang 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 anyone who got up in time to watch this one (laughs) Uh, the third 
goalless draw of the tournament, Graham. Only one the last time out. Yeah, I, I think we mentioned that yesterday. There were there were, by yesterday there were two, which was more than already, as you see, the last World Cup. <laughs> Yeah, this, I'll, I'll pick up there as Ryan was taking a Simicode Zero. <laughs> this game was bad. I don't expect many folks watched it. it. Pretty slow tempo. Both teams preferring to defend deeper rather than pressing high up the field. And, and both teams, I think, wisely trying to deny the other central midfielders from getting on the ball. So for Morocco, their midfield group is not nearly as heralded as Costa Rica's, but they do have Amrabat at the center of their midfield. Their number six, I think he wears number four, but he is their number six. He is a really skilled player for them and a lot of their play goes through him before it gets to Hakimi and Masrawi who came off injured in this game by the way something we should keep track of going forward oh, wow. that is a big loss for Morocco yes it is uh, it, it's hard to say exactly what that's going to be but uh, he had a diving header and landed somewhat awkwardly and, and apparently was clutching his shoulder as he came off so we'll keep our eyes on that but Amrabat is the guy who then gets the ball forward to Ziyech and Hakimi and Masrawi as those players push up the field Croatia did a good job, I think, of shifting their block back and forth, and Morocco didn't play fast enough to really beat that midfield, almost man-marking at times from Costa Rica. And then flipping it around the other way, Morocco didn't engage them. They didn't press high up the field. Yeah. They were willing to be back a little bit deeper, Graham, I thought, to try and congest space for Luka Modric and Brozovic mm-hmm. and Kovacic. And really, we just sort of ended up with this stalemate that, that didn't turn into anything. Yeah, it took Croatia 45 minutes and 12 seconds to register the opening shot on, on target of the match. And that was the longest wait for a shot on target we have had at this tournament so far. And I thought Morocco, by the, by the end of the second half, were the, were the happier of the, the two teams to settle for a point. The Croatian midfield of Brozovic, Kovacic, Kovacic and Modric... In terms of control, might be one of the best at the tournament, but watching this match, it became clear that they don't really have an outlet ahead of them. I guess Perisic could be that player as the tournament goes on, but Morocco in the second half just conceded so much possession that he never had any space to use, and I think Perisic Mm. needs that. So there are certainly questions over where the goals are going to come from with this Croatia team, uh, yeah, this wasn't the best match of the tournament so far. Well, yeah, All those Saints who got up at 5am to watch uh, Croatia's first register a mm. shot 45 minutes later is quite something. Joe, I don't know if you know if Croatia got over 65% possession in this game. That was my VSP. Uh, they I'll- ended, Ryan, with exactly 65% possession. hi I think that is a point for you, sir. Thank wait, you hold on. Did you say over? Wait a minute. You said over. Did you say 65 oh, and, or, and over? Feel like at least 65%? Uh, oh. We check, check the tape. tape. We, have, tape. we have people tracking these, so we'll know for sure. Okay. Discord All crowd, right. please let us like, know. I like that I'm willing to give Graham a half point for getting nothing. the player wrong. <laughs> and Ryan is like, no, no. It was a t- You're correct. Thank you very much, Taylor. Graham, one last thing on this from me. The BBC report said there was lots of play in the middle of the pitch, which is a very polite way of saying nothing there was happened. no attacking moments at all yeah absolutely it was the it was the open wide for some soccer uh, match essentially <laughs> Did the referee start with a gun <laughs> <laughs> excellent simpsons references all the way all gotta the way love. gotta That's love pretty much what it's been <laughs> indeed one last thing left to do on this podcast it's very specific prediction time let's take a look through the games tomorrow the 5am gang 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 are going to be watching switzerland versus cameroon he did it again he really did it again i know can't wow. get enough of it 8am is your Uruguay versus South Korea. Uh, then at 11, that lovely lunchtime slot is occupied by Portugal versus Ghana. And then for the 2pm headline, we're going to see Brazil and what they are made of. The favourites by many accounts are taking on Serbia in this one. Um, I'll start off with my very specific prediction for that game, Brazil versus Serbia. There is going to be at least 
four goals in this game. Mm. Uh, some numbers to support that. Three of Serbia's last four games have had at least four goals. Five of Brazil's last seven games have had at least four goals. Brazil have scored four or more goals on five occasions in 2022 already. And I think it's safe to say the majority of those goals, or at least more of those goals, will come from Brazil, in my opinion. They're unbeaten in their past 15 group stage matches. Serbia have lost seven of their last nine World Cup games. One of those was against Brazil. I like it, Ryan. I'm hoping that that game tomorrow, I'm generally less excited by the schedule tomorrow than I was for today's or even yesterday's. I think it is a little bit down. Maybe that's just my knowledge of these teams. But that Brazil-Serbia game does entice me, not least because I think there could be some goals in it. Very good indeed. Uh, Graham, I come to you for your very specific Mm. prediction about Portugal taking on Ghana, who I don't think will be very good. (laughs) So my VSP for that game is that Cristiano Ronaldo will score. Don't worry, there's more. But he won't have more than two shots on target in the game. So I'm hedging my bets a little bit with this one, but I still think it'll tell us something about this match. Um, Joe's a big Portugal fan. I know, and he told us in in his preview that Fernando Santos' (laughs) approach is conservative. There will be crosses into the box, and Ronaldo will be the focal point for that. So either one of two things happen. Portugal don't produce many shots on target, but everything is played into Ronaldo. Or Ronaldo, whose conversion rate this season is lower than any other point in his career, does get those chances but is wayward with some of his shooting um, but still gets enough chances against a poor Ghana team to actually find the back of the net when was the last time a player got a goal at a World Cup without being attached to a club that is a good question Mm. USA 94 there had to be a few there yeah maybe Asimo Gian might have done it for Ghana actually now that you mentioned that I feel like there was a period of time when he was out of contract that's a good pub quiz question Discord look it up Um, (laughs) Taylor Rockwell Mm -hmm. the 8am game Uruguay versus South Korea what you got another one I may need the Discord to look up unless Joe or Graham happen to know off the top of their head a site that tracks distance covered in games nope yeah, mm. I'm, I'm afraid not. All right. Well, uh, my my initial prediction was going to be that Fede Valverde will cover the most ground of any player on the pitch tomorrow, uh, which is somewhat of a risky prediction because I think if Uruguay are sort of comfortably winning this game, which I think they may be, he could be subbed off pretty early, but I still think he's going to cover a ton of ground. Since we're not sure if we can track that one, that would be like my first prediction. But if we can't, then I will say... We can. We can. Just okay. found it. FIFA's doing it. I will say nothing else. Oh No, I'll oh, say... I think the, one I was, the other one I wouldn't be surprised by is if Diego Godin gets a yellow card in this game. Because though you have a ton of very talented attackers for Uruguay, you do still have most likely Diego Godin and Jose Jimenez in the back. Uh, not the most fleet of foot. And I can see another scenario in which if there's some direct play from uh, Korea to try to hit on the break, maybe Godin just picks up that professional yellow to stop that play from happening. So, Fede Valverde covers the most ground. Diego Godin with a yellow card. Very nice indeed. Last but not least, uh, Joe, uh, part of the 5am gang, gang, gang uh, for Switzerland versus Cameroon. What's your prediction? Gang, gang, gang. I, uh, I think we should stop doing that personally. Otherwise, I think, I think Nuhu, <laughs> Nuhu plays for Cameroon. He'll, he'll be most likely there starting left back tomorrow. I think he's going to have at least one, quote, Nuhu moment, unquote, against the Swiss. That could be an excellent attacking run where he overlaps and hits a great ball into the box. That could be a slaloming dribble from left back. These are things that Seattle Sanders fans know well. The other things that Seattle Sanders fans know well is new who's defending, which at times is a bit spacey. And he does give me the vibe of, you know, those, those soccer players as children. Maybe some of us were those players 
who look around and pick flowers instead of sort of paying attention to what's going on. That <laughs> happens. New Who, I don't think, ever fully outgrew some of that energy. So I think New's going <laughs> to have at least be one. be me playing T-ball. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah. go. It's going to be the Taylor Rockwell playing T-ball-esque yeah. energy mm-hmm. from New Who or just something great in the attack because he can do both of those things. Joe, uh, if we were, like, I think that's a great prediction. If we were to amend it, uh, would would you say yes or no to will Sam Stasekel tweet New Who going to New Who? Uh, I would say yes to the point where now that I've said yes, if that happens, I will take a bonus point. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But Ryan still doesn't get the point if he said <laughs> over 65%. This feels open to manipulation, given that uh, you could just DM Sam and there could be some insider trading going on there. A, a little bit. And sorry, to go back. That's actually really true. I didn't even think about that. To go back to my Canada VSP from yesterday, which was that John Herdman was going to give a really inspirational team talk. I am taking the point for the postgame huddle. Don't let yourselves be fooled otherwise. That is one point on the board for Joe Lowry. I just checked my notes from yesterday. I have written down Croatia 65% plus possession. Ah! I think what is I that? failed. Ah. So that is to say that 65.0 is not good enough. It likely was slightly higher than 65.0, but They've I don't know how to down. find that. They've rounded down. I mean, you would think. See, this is where the, the, like, the particulars of it, well, it's just about how you remember it. So just go with, I said 65% or more, <laughs> and then you're good. We have a recorded document of it, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan on that note, why Ryan don't we, we can end this recorded document. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much, as always, sir. Thank you, my friend. Joe Lowry, pleasure. Right back at you. Graham Rosland, keep on trucking, baby. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back tomorrow to talk Brazil, Portugal, Uruguay, Switzerland, and much, much more. Their opponents, mainly. But for now, <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>